Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. I want you to react to these three words, diversity, equity, and inclusion, from your heart. What do they mean to you? What images do they conjure up? From my heart, it is a deeply personal issue because my youngest son is LGBTQ. And I have um, grown with him as a parent. I have learned a lot about him as a human being. And I have watched how he has struggled to fit into this world. And um, the process that he goes through for very simple things like traveling and how he has to think about everything he packs and everything he takes with him and where he's going to be for his own personal safety. And as a mom, that is, there's nothing more personal than that. And so this is um, deeply, deeply personal to me. And the thought around diversity, equity, and inclusion has become somewhat of a mission for me. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are three words that many brands and companies have been talking about a lot since the events of 2020. But DE&I has been around for more than just a year. In this mini-series, I will be talking to marketers and executives about the ways they are promoting DE&I in their organization. My guest on this episode of the CMO Podcast DE&I mini-series is Andrea Brimmer, the Chief Marketing and P Officer for Detroit-based Ally Financial. Ally Financial is a bank holding company that is one of the largest car finance companies in the U.S. and is the 17th largest bank in the United States by assets. In this episode, Andrea talks about how Ally's DE&I efforts from a few years ago have already made their company stronger. She also discusses how Ally chooses their DE&I initiatives and why it's important that these DE&I choices are authentic to the brand. Without any further ado, here is my enlightening conversation with Andrea Brimmer. Andrea, welcome back to the CMO podcast. We spoke last September. You had a bunch of kids in your house. I think you were building a home. We were, of course, in the middle of COVID. So I have to start with, how is your life and work different now? Hi, Jim. First of all, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Um, you know, life is different because it feels like it's getting back to normal. First of all, the kids are all gone. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wish the, I know the, what you with, mean. <laughs> with the exception of one who uh, who we haven't been able to shake, but we're working on it. Um, and, you know, we're starting to get back in the office and um, traveling again and doing normal things. So it feels good to uh, be a human being again. Let's flip into a little bit of, uh, we'll get back to your mission, but flip a little bit into DEI and Ally. And I want you to start with a real fundamental question. Why is it important to the company 
And of all the things that you could do in DE&I, where are you focused? I would say first, in terms of why it's important to the company, we just fundamentally believe that diverse businesses are better businesses. And that when you have more diversity around the table, you get to better outcomes. And I think, you know, Jim, I mean, we are a customer obsessed company. I know that sounds cliche and that sounds like the right thing to say at the right time, but that was the whole way Ally was founded 12 years ago. And you can't be customer obsessed if you don't reflect the customer. And so from our perspective, in order to reflect the customer, you have to have that diversity around the table. Um, I would say where we're really focused right now is on inclusion. We are in such a horribly divided country. Um, The political landscape over the last year, social injustice, um, you know, I think a lot of the racial awakening, the murder of George Floyd. I mean, there were so many things last year that were so important to I think the history of this country going forward and the thing that kept emerging for us was this sense of inclusiveness um, and how important it was for every viewpoint to be heard and to understand each other's viewpoints and to really um, be more apathetic um, about or more empathetic, I should have said, about um, understanding other people's points of view. And um, those are some of the things that I think we're really focused on at Ally. And how are you doing that, Andrea? How does that play out into priorities, initiatives, commitments? You know, Jim, I think it starts first with um, empowering your employee base to have real and honest conversations and um, to have space where they can learn about groups that they either identify with or groups that they want to learn more about. about. And so really one of the first things we did, and this was seven years ago, is we, we created our employee resource groups. We have eight different employee resource groups across the company. We have almost 50% of our employees that are part of an employee resource group. Personally, I chair the LGBTQ plus um, employee resource group, as you can imagine. And they have been wonderful, not only in terms of learning about each other, but they've been wonderful in that we can be very focused together on giving back to the community and doing things that are important to those employee resource groups. Another important initiative that we've been really focused on is a series that we call Let's Talk About It. And they've been awesome. They're just really candid conversations. There's no agenda. We pick a subject matter. So, for instance, after the murder of George Floyd, we um, hosted a number of Let's Talk About It sessions. You could just sign up for it. And it was simply one question. How are you feeling after the murder of George Floyd? And we listened to different people's perspectives. Small, intimate groups, usually 40 on each call. I joined about five different ones. And you could join as many as you want. And I cannot tell you how emotional they were. I can't tell you how eye-opening they were. And I can't tell you how empowering they were to understand the different journeys that our teammates were going on 
and the roller coaster ride of emotions that they were feeling. So I think that bonded us. It, you know, there was a lot of open communication with people that, you know, some people I had never met before in the company. And, and we've formed so many close relationships coming out of those series of Let's Talk About It's um, that are based on common ground that has been just really impactful and really amazing. So why did you choose to do that one? And I mean, it sounds, you know, there's no expectations. It's a conversation about an issue. You, you raise one question. What was, where did, where did that idea start? What was the catalyst? Who had it? What was its life like with an ally? The catalyst really came from our chief diversity officer, Reggie Willis. And um, Reggie knew that a lot of people were hurting across the company and that people needed a place to voice what was happening inside of them. And it was hard, right? Because we were all home. We weren't together. And um, there was no outlet for our anger. There was no outlet for our emotions. There was no outlet for our bewilderment. There was no place to ask questions. There was no place to really see how our teammates were feeling. And so he came to um, a, a small group of us as ex the executive council and said, is everybody supportive of doing these sessions? And we said, not only are we supportive, um, we, we all want to participate. And um, really within two days, we had our first session set up and the intent was really to just do five sessions across the company. And there was so much demand for them. I think Reggie ended up doing about 40 of them. And had to expand 40. 40. Wow. Yeah. And like I said, I, I went to five different ones and I mean, I cried every single one. <laughs> I identified with so much of what was being talked about, especially from the black mothers on the calls who talked so much about the fear that they had every time their child walked out the door about whether or not they'd ever see them again. I, I relate to that with a with a gay son so much and um it just helped me find strength in that moment and it created connections for me and I know it did the same for so many people and I think that's what we mean by inclusiveness um having real conversations with one another making sure people know that ally is a safe place it's a safe zone and um we are only going to get better if we learn from one another do you think this will continue as we now get back together and we're in the office more? Do you think you'll continue this? Will you listen to your employees and maybe continue it if they want to? I know we will. And we have. Um, we've been having the same kind of conversations about uh, uh, transgender issues that are so prevalent right now. Um, so the Let's Talk About It series has continued. I think it's now part of our culture. It's part of our learning about the kinds of things that we need to do as we evolve to become a more uh, inclusive company. And I think it's just part of our DNA now. And this, um, this is really important. I think this constant learning process to me is the thing that I've been the most struck by, especially as a CMO. I have learned so much in the last year and a half, things that never would have dawned on me and my eyes are so much more open to them now. And I think the only reason that that has occurred is because people, I think, feel more empowered than ever right now to have candid conversations with one another. And 
to have conversations that I think oftentimes we felt were out of bounds and didn't realize that, you know, diverse friends that we have, diverse colleagues that we have, has been dying to have these conversations. And nobody knew how to set the stage to have them. And so I do think that platforms like like Let's Talk About It open up those pathways for us. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. How do you think this has changed? You said you've learned so much in the last year and a half. How's it changed? how you lead as CMO and chief PR officer? How do you spend your time differently now than you did 18 months ago? How do, you, how do you approach your work in a new or different way because of what has happened over the last 18 months and what you've experienced? I think I'm so much more aware that there are subtle things that you don't give a second thought to that have a bigger impact than you realize. I'll give you a good example. We had a... Um, we had somebody in the organization, not in my organization, but at Ally, um, that we had to release. And um, it happened to be a diverse female. And there was cause for it that was, um, you know, that was significant. And there was fear among the um, Black females on my team immediately that uh, maybe this person was let go because they had a strong voice as a black woman. And they, there were a lot of people that reached out to me and I said, I can't get into the details of it, but I can assure you that that's not the case. That never would have dawned on me. And what I felt good about is that they felt comfortable enough to come to me. And I think the reason they came felt comfortable enough to come to me in and voice their concerns was because I had taken the time over the course of this last year and a half to be more open to conversations, to reach out, to actively seek to learn, to actively seek to understand from a really place, a really good place. And um, I think that's changed me as a leader forever. I think some of those insights have just made me more in tune than I've ever been in the 30 plus years of my career. And that changes the work, right? It makes yeah. you even braver. It makes you realize the importance of what has to be done even more so and why. You know, one gift I have in life is I spend, you know, I mean, about a day a week talking to CMOs through this podcast. and. I have heard over the last year, more than ever, uh, a higher level of self-awareness and a higher, a, a different conversation about their teams. And I think the connection to the teams, 
the understanding of the teams, the building of the teams, the time with the team, the coaching on the team, the communication amongst the team, better than ever, at least from my sample of you know, two or so leaders a week for the last 50 weeks. Right. So, I, and it sounds like you're, you're reflecting that. I am. I, I feel closer to my team, which is kind of amazing considering we haven't been together than I really have before. And I think the gift, if you look for the good that has come out of the last year and a half, the gift that we've been given is the gift of slowing down a little bit not being on planes constantly, not running from meeting to meeting. While I think in some ways we've been busier than ever, I think we've also had the opportunity to connect more than ever before and just simple things that I can do now that I've never done. So, you know, I have had the opportunity to once a month try and do open Zoom calls with you know, 10 or 15 people at all different levels across the team. And there's no agenda. It's just, how's everybody doing? I miss you. What's going on? Tell me about your life. Um, I think there's been more texting, just more fun things, whether it's sending each other funny videos um, on, you know, different apps or uh, being more in tune with what's going on in people's personal lives. That's been the gift that's come out of a lot of this. And I also think um, it just, slowing down to see how people are doing as people and um, taking really big substantive actions. I'm a big believer in big brand acts. I think we as a company have done both for our customers and our employees, some amazing big brand acts. And that's also helped us learn. When you see how that has impacted people on every level, it makes you want to do more of it. And we did a huge one last week that hits right in the sweet spot of of DE&I. Say more about that. You probably have heard a lot of the controversy that's been raging around overdraft fees, uh, particularly coming out of Washington and mm-hmm. how overdraft fees disproportionately affect people that can afford them the least, which is typically black and brown communities. Um, many in the banking category garner billions with a B a year in terms of uh, fee revenue from overdraft fees. We made a decision last week to eliminate all overdraft fees, no questions asked, and are the first big bank to eliminate those. And we did it because it was the right thing to do. And that, to me, was an outgrowth of learning over the last year and a half. Again, would never have hit our radar if there hadn't been so much conversation about DE&I. And it did hit our radar. And it occurred to us when we actually kind of stopped and listened to the consumer that it was the wrong thing to do. And as a company that stands, tries to stand on the right side of right as much as we can, we knew that it had to be done. And the attention for it has been incredible. The sentiment for it has been incredible. But I think it's empowered us. We moved quickly. It wasn't something that anybody overthought. And to me, I think that's an outgrowth of just being more self-aware as a company and as a group of leaders around doing the right thing. It's a beautiful example of DE&I going right into your business, your business model, and your customer empathy. So it's a, it's a powerful example. It's a bit of your CBS moment, right? Absolutely. They took Absolutely. a major act. There were revenue and profitability issues. I'm sure there are the same with the decision you made, but it right. is the right thing to do, and you moved on it. 
That's right. And I think that's, I've seen a lot of companies do those kinds of things. And I just think that's been a, I think that's been one of the best outgrowths of everything that's happened the last year and a half. There's, it's created more conversation around DEI. I think almost every company has had some kind of, you know, DEI platform or initiatives. I feel like this past, this past year has been substantive in terms of creating real change. And I think that um, many companies have stepped up across so many categories and said, it's time for deeds, not words. And let's get after the real work that needs to be done. And I, you know, I'm, I'm happy for that. I talked to Frank Cooper at BlackRock about DEI. He's part of this series. He was, he said about the same thing you just said. He is actually hopeful that this time is different. Could I get you to talk a little bit more about why you think this time is different? I think it's different because I think that for the first time in a long time, in, there are a couple of different confluences of activity that are that are coming together. One is I think consumers are demanding action more than ever before. You can't look at any piece of research that doesn't tell you whether it's a Edelman Trust study or whether it's a um, you know, your own voice of the customer or whether it's, you know, social media sentiment, um, you know, go on and on and on in terms of the data that there is the vast proportion of consumers are demanding businesses to be the fourth branch of government, to take on societal issues and to act on those societal issues. And so there is no, there is no pass anymore. You know, not doing something or not saying something around important issues around DE&I are, are as impactful as doing something, um, but on the negative side. So you've got that confluence of momentum and inertia. And then on the other hand, you, I truly believe that employee bases have activated action within companies. And that CEOs and C-suite executives are more attuned than ever before to the voice of the employee base and the importance of the co- their company standing for the, the right side on many of these issues. And those are two, those are two big confluences that are too massive to ignore. And um, I think companies realize that it's not okay to sit on the sidelines anymore. It just isn't. You have to pick and choose, right? There, yeah. it's it's hard to figure out what to what to wade into and what not to. But to not do anything is not okay. You talked a moment ago about let's talk about it, and I know you're doing lots of innovation in this space. And I know one thing you're doing is with universities and education. The I think it's the moguls in the making. Yeah. Could you speak about that or another initiative that you, you're particularly proud of? You think it's innovative, it's fresh thinking that's moved forward because of what we've all been through over the last 18 months? Yeah, Moguls is a pride, particular pride point for me. We created it three years ago, and it was done um, in accordance with the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. And the idea was that um, there's all this money that's going into venture capitalism and only 1% of it goes into black owned businesses and that's not right 
And we needed to do something to help create the next generation of black moguls. And so we, um, we do a call to the historically black colleges, universities every year. We have thousands of students that enter to be chosen as part of our moguls in the making program. We select the top um, 50 submissions uh, after they kind of go through a panel of internal judges and we bring those students in and we mentor them throughout the weekend. They're given a, a, a problem that exists in society and they have to use um, a technological solution to solve that problem. And we have about 150 ally employees that give their entire weekend to mentor these kids and to um, to get them ready for a pitch competition. And then on Sunday night, they do a pitch competition to a panel of judges and we select the winning team. Um, we usually have offered internships to all the kids that participate. Um, for, met, for the winning teams, we pay off a portion of their student loans. They get computers as part of the, the prize package and other things. Um, but it is an amazing program and it has created this incredible pipeline of diverse talent that's coming into Ally that have now gone on to do incredible things within the company um, that have been very impactful. So it's been a pride point for us. It's been a program that, um, you know, I think has gotten bigger and better every single year and um, something that I think has just been a wonderful gift for us to see. So it's three years old. Have you seen the ideas evolve a little bit in these three years? Is there, are there any themes that you would highlight? The level of quality thinking coming out of the students has been elevated. It is absolutely incredible. And, and a lot of the thematics that we're seeing, especially coming out of the students, is really germane to our area, which is how do we utilize technology to create financial literacy? and economic mobility in black and brown communities. And they've come up with some really innovative ideas around gamification, around um, utilization of uh, cultural aspects like music and other things um, to make learning about financial literacy more engaging and some really just powerful thinking. And so it's really, it's really been rewarding to see the students lean into something that has so much uh, applicability to the business that we're in by trying to intersect financial literacy with so many of the systemic issues facing many of the underrepresented communities. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. I want to flip the conversation a little bit into leadership. And you're a senior leader at Ally. You've been there a long time. You've done a major brand restage years ago. And you've done a lot of fabulous work. Could you talk to me a little bit about your leadership team and DE&I? You know, how are they working together differently than they might have done five years ago? 
what are you per, what are you all challenged with? And if I went or, if I sat in your leadership team meeting, what would I hear as the theme in terms of challenges? So could you give us a little bit of a window into your lead team and the dynamics there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, um, you know, we have a we have an, a, a fairly diverse leadership team. Um, I would say I have the guys on the team would have I would say I have a disproportionate number of women <laughs> leading the uh, marketing organization. In fact, seventy percent of my team is female um, across the board, which is pretty incredible. Um, we have um, created a multicultural marketing team in the last year and a half. I brought in a, a new leader, a woman by the name of Erica Hughes, to lead that multicultural marketing team. We have put as a leadership team, greater demand on our agency partners to ensure that we have a higher percentage of um, diversity around the table at the agencies so that we're getting better and more inclusive thinking. We have um, made it a priority as we're looking at work, as we're reviewing media plans, as we're thinking about the way that we're going to market, that we're asking ourselves hard questions around what percentage of our spend is in Black-owned media? What percentage of our spend is going towards uh, a Latinx audience? How are we thinking differently about LGBTQ issues and how will we shine a light on, on things that are conversations that need to be had? Um, we've created a, a powerful new series called Daring to Disrupt as an example that probably wouldn't have occurred prior to now. Um, that talks about how looks at women and industries that they have disrupted from their unique point of view and the challenges that they've faced. So I think that what you would see in our leadership team is a laser focus on changing the conversation, a laser focus on ensuring that the culture we're trying to create with an ally is reflected out into the world and that we are building more diverse teams. We've challenged each one of the leaders to ensure that every candidate slate includes diverse candidates and not to accept candidate slates that aren't diverse. And we've also created, I think, much stronger mentorship programs for our diverse teammates to really help ensure success, to think a little bit differently, that not everybody has to check every box. They might not have to have marketing background. They may not have to have certain backgrounds that we would have been more stringent on in the past, that the only way we're going to really build a true pipeline of the next generation of diverse leaders is that if we bring, if we, if we're better about bringing in more of a variety of people, and then we're mentoring them to success. And I think those are all big things that have changed in the last year and a half. That's a rich list of initiatives, how do you choose? I mean, do you go to your team? Do you, do, you, do you treat it almost like a portfolio with your products? You know, which ones do we think have the highest leverage, highest impact? We'll do those first. How do you do that? You know, Jim, one of the things that I've done to help hold myself accountable is I've written it right into my performance objectives. And I've made a, a commitment about the number of diverse teammates that I would like to have on my team by the end of the year. And I have kind of push that down, so to speak, right? I think it starts with that. That's been our prioritization is um, make sure that we're bringing diverse perspectives in. And the only way to bring diverse perspectives in is to hire more diverse talent. 
So that's certainly been our prioritization uh, in terms of number one. Um, and then when you do, when you make that kind of commitment, then you have to ensure success. So the mentoring, the, um, you know, being more open-minded about the kind of experiences and outgrowth of that. I think that's been kind of priority one this year. And then priority two has certainly been, look, we're not perfect. I, I, nobody can say they're perfect in terms of the way that they're thinking about diverse media, the way that they're th- thinking about supporting more black and brown and LGBTQ um, media companies and properties. But you have to start somewhere and you just have to start doing things. And that's what we're trying to do. You don't have to have everything figured out. Let's just start doing stuff and see where it goes. Who do you go to for inspiration in this space, Andrea? Your son, perhaps? And and uh, talk a bit more maybe about that and, and anyone else who's yeah, inspired absolutely. you. You know, certainly Drew has been, I bounced so many things off of Drew and he's been a huge inspiration for me. Uh, one of my best friends in the world is one of the most incredible women that I've ever met. Her name is Tashunda Duckett. She's the new CEO of Tia Kref. She's only the second black female CEO in America right now. She has been an incredible source of inspiration for me. She's been an incredible source of learning. And she's somebody that I have really wonderfully candid conversations with. She's been a huge source of of inspiration. And another has been somebody who's been a friend of mine for, I guess, probably 20 years. I'm aging myself here. Um, Steve Stout, who's the CEO of Translation. Steve and I have known each other forever. We did some incredible work together back in our, our old Chevy days. And Steve's been somebody that I think has changed the model on so many industries. And he's always an incredible source of the truth. And he's been an incredible source of inspiration for me over the last, um, you know, last 15 months or so. Last question. What's your advice to other CMOs, pragmatic advice? as they seek to make progress within their organization, with their brands, with their company, with society on DE&I? You know, I guess I tell everybody that kind of the same thing is think like a human. And if you don't, if you don't have the right information to inform your decision, seek it out. Go talk to people that can bring you diverse perspectives so that you can make right decisions. and. You know, I, I, I hinted at this a little bit earlier. Not every subject is the right subject for a brand or a company to wade in on. And you have to you have to make those decisions. But if everybody just does something, we're going to have a very different world even a year from now. And so empower yourself with information. Um, be open minded, learn. And I think now more than ever, now more than ever before, it's critical that a CMO has a really loud voice and has an important seat at the table. And um, it's really pushing on some of the hard issues. That's not the last question. I have one follow-up because of, <laughs> of, of, because of your answer. Uh, you, you, know, you talked about having a loud voice and picking something to be involved in or a few things to be involved in. I, I'm getting that question over and over again. Where should I have a voice? When should I speak up? When should I not speak up? What, what, what should our company, you know, try to make significant change 
Where should they try to make significant change? You're in banking. You're in financial services. I'm sure that's one framework for your decisions. But how do you decide where you, where you play? We make the decision based on things that are authentic to our purpose and authentic to our culture. I think the overdraft fees is a great example. Authentic to what we do, we're a bank. Authentic to our culture, and um, that's a culture of customer obsession, right? And so that's a perfect example of a place where we needed to wade in on something. Um, You can't be outspoken on one issue and decide to take a pass on others. If you stand for inclusiveness, you have to be brave enough around doing things that celebrate inclusivity and can't shy away from them. You know, this whole uh, transgender issue, I think, is a great issue. And um, and you don't necessarily need to weigh into it by making some kind of a PR statement, but you can wade into it by featuring transgender athletes in your in your marketing world work or content stories and telling their story. So I think there are ways to wade in without, I think everybody automatically kind of goes to, I need to make a public statement. I need my CEO to go say something. We need to, you know, do a press release. It always doesn't always have to be that solution. Sometimes you can do it through actions that are brand X that are way more impactful. And I think that's how we try and decide authentic to our culture, authentic to our our purpose. And, um, are things that can make real impact through our action. That's a great place to leave it, Andrea. I mean, thank, thank you again for this wonderful conversation, for your honesty, for your insights, for your passion, for your sincerity. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. So thanks so much, Jim, for having me on. I appreciate it. That was my conversation with Andrea Brimmer. Here are three takeaways to think about in your business and life. First takeaway, make sure your DEI decisions are in line with your brand purpose. They should be authentic to your history, authentic to your brand, and authentic to what your customers care about. Second takeaway, DEI starts with a diverse team. Allies leadership is already diverse, and because of that, they understand the importance of DEI. Also, with a team with a diverse background, they understand the best ways to implement DEI across the organization and with their partners. Third takeaway, do what is right. Andrea and her team listen and react to the events happening in the world, and they find a way to do the right thing for their customers and their employees. It's always important to act, but what really matters is when you act and for the right reasons. To learn more about DEI, please visit the links in our show notes. Make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like the show, tell a friend and remember to rate and review us wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast DEI mini series is a Gallery Media Group original production in partnership with Deloitte Digital.